All right. Roller on the Barrel Vintage Baseball Podcast. Talking to talking vintage baseball with people. Coast coast border border. It's what we do. Check us out on Podbean. Check us out on Spotify. Check us out on Apple. Whatever. It's 2023. You can find us anywhere. Come to my house. Say hi. Uh, you can find me on Google Earth. Listen. Uh, Rudy's off this week, so it's my pleasure as I am a co-host. My name is the Barrel Roller. It's my pleasure for the first time officially to bring in, in his first full-time official duty, the Cougar, Jeff Kozlowski. Jeff, how you doing? Whew. Feel good. Got a good got a good warm up in here right now. Got some uh, got a big seat to fill. Got big shoes to fill, but uh, we're gonna do what we can here. Do ya? Anyway, uh, Jeff was shoveling ice cream into his gullet before we hit record. I'm curious as to what the flavor was, Jeff. Uh, it is Neapolitan. Uh, it's actually the store brand Neapolitan. Uh, my daughter has, was eating some, and my wife told me that she would not let me do the podcast until I finished my ice cream. So here I am, right out of the carton, too. I you know I'm not using a bowl like any civilized person. I want to see. I'm just eating it straight. I want to see what flavor you're you're favoring the most, and what one you're not getting to the most. What what are so what, it's mostly. So there you go. Uh, the chocolate's still <laughs> sitting here. The strawberry is gone. That's my daughter's favorite. So I'm I'm uh, working my way through the chocolate right now. Uh, yeah, this last weekend I was somewhere and somebody brought up Neapolitan ice cream and said that their friend got super high one night and bought three cartons of Neapolitan, just like that, a half gallon, and then separated all the flavors into each container. So those are the things that the marijuana does to you. Uh, Jeff, uh, the Lottie does uh, season over another successful world tournament. Uh, any news you want to break? Yeah, on we're things coming up. Things Lottie da like. Yeah, we're we wrapped up here. We uh, we had a, a fun showing at the the Michigan Cup. We uh, we went one and one. We beat Bay City and. Seems like every time we play Bay City at Michigan Cup, one of us always wins in the last inning, which is uh, again what happened. So we squeak one out over them, and then uh, played against Flat Rock, and uh, you know they were rested and ready to go, and uh, it was an unusually hot Michigan last weekend day, and just kind of ran out of steam. But you know the Bay City boys always put on a wonderful show, and I think every one of us walked away from it going, you know what, we won a game. Had a good meal. The chicken there is fantastic. I'll take that any day of the week. <laughs> They're still doing the so chicken. That, I remember some very hot days oh. at the Michigan State Cup. Some uh, greasy bat hot days. Uh, yeah. So it's not an anomaly. It's 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 climate yeah. change. Schedule all the yeah, way no, to November, was, kids. Was, Oh, Jeff froze. Way to go. You've already dropped the ball on it was your... Good. It was good. Go. We were happy for <laughs> You're back. Yeah, <laughs> I just went boost mobile on it. <laughs> uh, all right. So <clears throat> tonight we get to go back to one of our favorite places and to a state that I need to apologize to, I feel. But uh, we're going back to Tennessee as we bring in our guest, uh, Dylan Platts. Dylan, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I am excellent. Uh, Dylan plays for the scouts down in Tennessee. 
and uh, mostly they have a uh, a league in Tennessee, which the scouts in the past have been a part of. Uh, Dylan's going to tell us how things are going currently in his vintage baseball world. But first, uh, there's something way more important on people's minds when it, when Tennessee vintage baseball hits people's eardrums these days, and that is the health and well-being of Uncle Jesse in uh, yep. the Tennessee Territory as there is a health situation and there's people all over the Internet looking for bits and pieces of details of what happened, what's going on, how is he doing, what's the outlook, and how can they help and all of this information. So we asked Dylan, who, thanks to the power of the interwebs, I was able to nail down as the man to talk to about these kind of things, and here he is. And uh, Dylan, thank you so much for joining the show. Can you go ahead and give everybody an update on the situation? Yeah, I can, and and thanks for having me. You know, uh, when Jesse eventually listens to this, he'll he'll really appreciate it, I'm sure. So, so thanks for the opportunity. Um, we actually have some really good news. So, um, I'll share that first, and then I'll give some backstory if anyone needs it. But as of last night, Jesse is out of the ICU uh, and in a a normal hospital bed. So, uh, making some really good progress. Uh, you know, I'll try I'll try to not like divulge too many of the nitty-gritty details that are going on just to respect some of his privacy but he has been in the icu until last night since august 23rd uh and 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 not only has he been in the icu he has been in the icu in chicago uh not not where we live um and so that's been the the biggest hurdle i think for his family and and certainly for the vintage baseball family in tennessee um you know he was in Canada, actually visiting some family, wasn't really feeling great. They tried to come home early when he got to Chicago, like he was doing bad enough that they took him straight from the airport to the hospital. Uh, and he had been intubated for several weeks. Uh, he was able to get off of being intubated. He had several setbacks. He had to be intubated again. And it was kind of, it was really dicey for a little while, right? You know, I, I, the GoFundMe that I'll plug here in a second, I called it Rally for Rick. I tried to keep it a little bit baseball-themed, but we were really trying to rally with two outs there for a little while. And um, and so Rick started making some progress, but as things tend to go with human bodies, you fix one thing, something else gets a little bit worse. You fix that, something else gets a little bit worse. So it was a, a little bit of a up and down, uh, certainly for the family who was, traveling from Tennessee to Chicago over and over and over again um, and and trying to be there with him. But some really great news. He's out of the ICU as of last night. They're allowing him to start learning how to eat again. Um, you know, when you're intubated, you're being fed through a tube in your nose. So he hasn't eaten real food in a while. I think uh, the update I got last night said he got to have some applesauce and, and his exact words were, that's damn good. So, um Happy, happy to see where, where he's getting. I, I did get to speak to him on the phone two days ago uh, and, and hear his voice. So it was uh, really, really good. Uh, we're making a lot of progress. Hopefully he can transfer back to Nashville here pretty soon, and that'll ease up a little bit on the family. Um, but, you know, while I'm, while I'm kind of mentioning that, I will go ahead and plug the GoFundMe. And sure. largely one of the reasons I put that together is for – uh, not only Jesse, but his but his family, um, both of his children, especially, who 
dropped everything on on August 23rd, dropped everything and went to Chicago. Um, his One of his sons used to play on the scouts as well. His name's Luke. We call him Mitch. Um, because if you know Jesse, if you've ever met Jesse, you know he's got gigantic hands, and he passed those hands down to his son Mitch. So, of course, he's got uh, Mitch for hands, and that's how he gets that nickname. But uh, they, they dropped everything and went up there, and they've been staying in Chicago, living out of hotels for you know over a month now. And so we put this GoFundMe together. Um, funnily enough, I actually asked Mitch for his approval beforehand. I was trying to be nice. Uh, but he was never going to give me the go-ahead. He was never going to ask for any of this help. So I just went out and did it myself with the help of a, another teammate on the scouts. His nickname is Scotsman. His name is Evan McCaslin. So thanks, Evan. Um, but, yeah, we set this GoFundMe up. Uh, we put a $10,000 goal on it, and we hit that $10,000 goal. It, it's been very, very successful, uh, but we can always go above that goal. So if you are wanting to help out with uh, who knows what these medical bills will look like, uh, if you want to help out with that, or if you want to just help give the the family a little bit of a, a breather for hotel fees and, and, you know, food, we all know how it is eating deep dish pizza in Chicago every day. Um, uh, if, we, if you want to help them out, there there is a GoFundMe. Uh, I'm sure I can get the link shared out here um, other without me, you know, spouting off some crazy URL. But uh, the, the GoFundMe is called Rally, the number four Rick. Uh, and it's for Rick Brewer. So if you uh, if you Google that, I'm sure you can find it. Uh, yeah, we are going to share the link in the description of this episode so everybody can find it nice and easy. Uh, we did share the link to the GoFundMe page on the Roller North Barrel Facebook page. Uh, boy, we did that a couple, I don't know, a couple weeks ago when I first saw it. And uh, so we'll do that again, uh, get that out because... Listen, we've all been on vacation, okay? We've all been in hotels, and you know how much money is being needed for the hotels and for three meals, and nothing's home cooked. They're eating probably terribly. Uh, and, And to be away from home, and then you get the good news of things getting better, but then you have the reality of the medical bills, which in this country is a lot. So uh, <laughs> it's a, the, even though you hit the goal of 10,000 in the GoFundMe, more is needed. Uh, everyone's done a fine job of the fundraising up until now, but it's never going to be enough to take care of what's going on. So uh, please donate if you're listening to this episode and uh, we will remind you in this episode a couple of times about this GoFundMe. It's the rally for Rick, yeah, and, number four. Yep, Go ra- rally for Rick, and and um, you know, just to give like one more little story, just to kind of tug at anyone's heartstrings that might be on the fence uh, of why to give. But for instance, his son left left his family. Right, he's got uh, a son and and a daughter himself. They're both playing well baseball and softball. They're both doing travel ball. He just you know left that and missed their games, um, but. Things were looking a lot better uh, several weeks ago, and Luke actually bought a plane ticket and flew home, got here on a Thursday, and like within like five hours of him landing, Rick had like, an episode, and so Luke got in a car and drove to Chicago immediately. So, no, he flew home, hoping to spend a weekend with his wife and kids, and then immediately hopped in the car and had to drive back just in 
in case the you know the worst happens. So I uh, wanted to to share that story. But again, you know, to anybody who has given, like, I want to say thank you. I really appreciate it. I know Rick does. Um, he hasn't really been able to communicate with anybody up until very recently. So I think he learned of the GoFundMe about two days ago, uh, and it and it was you know very surprising to him. And he and he's very thankful as well. I'm sure once he has the ability to communicate a little bit better, he will share his thanks in, in his own way. But I uh, just, you know, wanted to say thank you to anyone who's given already. And, and if you do give or if you feel uh, drawn to give, like I really, we all really appreciate it. I just want to say thank you. So once again, that's Rally for Rick with the number four instead of the word support Rick Brewer and the family. Uh, worthwhile cause. We always say vintage baseball is one giant family. So let's all row the boat in the same direction. Oh, my God. Did I just do like a PJ Fleck thing? Damn it. Uh, yeah, row the boat in the same, in the same the direction. Uh, Dylan, if you don't mind sticking around, we'd like to ask you some Tennessee vintage baseball questions, uh, if you're okay with that. Yeah, no problem. And now asking his first official question as a official co-host it's kind of like a minor leaguer coming up to get his first major league at bat. Here it is, Jeff Kozlowski's first brain-teasing, intelligent, well-thought-out question. Here it comes. Jeff, ask Dylan a question. Go. I, let me check to make sure I'm not on mute. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, so, Dylan, you know, it's, we gotta gotta get the you know the proverbial ball rolling here. Like, what was your introduction to vintage baseball, and like, what were some of the initial changes that you kind of realized that this baseball is a little bit different than maybe what you grew up with? Yeah, you know, uh, Jeff, uh, being completely honest, there, I expected you to strike out in your first at bat, but but put the ball. <laughs> oh. um, uh, no, so so yeah, so my my introduction to vintage baseball. Uh, funnily enough. The Vintage League in, in Tennessee, I, I might get my dates mixed up, but I think it started in about 2012. Uh, and, and for those of you who are familiar with the, the league, know that the Tennessee League started with just two teams, the Nashville Maroons and the Franklin Farriers. They're our, our founding teams. And they just played each other over and over and over again, right? As fast as it had been. And uh, after, I think, uh, I, two years of doing that, 2012, 2013, they decided, hey, let's let's expand this thing. Let's make this bigger. And so 2014, they expanded out to several more teams. That was the first year of the scouts. And at the time, we were called the Stewart's Creek. I mean, sorry, I yeah, Stewart's Creek. I get it a little confused. We are the Stewart's Creek scouts. We were based out of Smyrna, Tennessee. Uh, and if you've ever been to Smyrna, maybe you've heard of the Sam Davis home. That's that's where our home games were played. Um, little local history. Uh, if you are familiar at all with Captain Jeff Coos. Who, who was a pilot for the Blue Angels, um, there was a, a really bad accident that happened over Smyrna, and he crashed his um, plane into the baseball field we played at to save, you know, an entire neighborhood uh, from being wiped out. So um, a lot of cool stuff has happened in that space. It's a, it's a well, cool. We can debate what I meant by that. But, uh, you know, really, really awesome place to play. We played there for several years. Um, when I got into it, I had just graduated college. Uh, I was from the Smyrna area. I went to Smyrna High School. Shout out Bulldogs. 
um, and had lived here my entire life. I had gone to Knoxville to the giant orange school out east, and I was finishing up school. My dad had heard on the radio about this vintage thing, and he was like, hey, I think you would really like this because I'm into old shit. And um, so we started talking about it, and when I came home that summer from graduating, I started volunteering with the league, and I was like, hey, you know, I'd really like to see what this is about. And that was kind of the way in, was you volunteered back then. You, you had to show some skin, right, put your skin in the game. And fortunately for me, I, I volunteered at one game, and uh, one of the older guys on the scouts at the time got hit in the nuts in that game, decided he was done playing this sport, and I got to take his uh, spot on the roster. So a little bit of um, design intervention there to get me in really, really quickly. But, you know, I played baseball my whole life. Getting into this was definitely a little bit of a change, right? I had gone from playing baseball to getting really into intramural softball in uh, college and then going right into the vintage thing. And it was just like the perfect storm for me personally. Uh, what a fantastic group of guys that I got to play with and, and learn this vintage game. And, you know, obviously you're dressing up, you're playing barehanded, you're just having an absolute ball. And um, for any of you who know or don't know, Peter Wells, Jeff Wells from Knoxville, Tennessee, he, he was in Middle Tennessee when I joined the team. And he was the perfect person to have to like steward you along in vintage baseball. He did some reenacting for uh, Revolutionary War type things, and he took it really seriously. And so, like, I remember I, I got really amped up one time. I played center field. I threw a guy out at home from center field, and I, like, ran in, and I, like, jumped up and bumped into our, our first baseman, and he, like, grabbed me by the collar and put me aside. And he was like, we don't do that in baseball. So uh, you definitely learn, you know, how you're supposed to behave and how you're supposed to act, and, um, and it, 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 it was a lot of fun to learn those new rules and to learn those nuances. Uh, the, Funny how the, the the baseball gods work in mysterious ways, huh? Yeah, yes they <laughs> guy, do. Guy, guy gets hit in the groin and says, somebody points at you and says, all right, buddy, your turn. It's, it's your turn, yeah. No, it's, funnily enough, my very first game, uh, we were playing the Oak Hill Travelers, who, who are not a team anymore, but uh, we were playing at Bicentennial Mall. And I was I was amped beyond belief for, for this vintage game, and I was having just so much fun that the first baseman of the team – like kind of got angry at me for running too fast. And I was like, Hey, like, I'm sorry. I'm, I'm out here to win the game. I'm, I'm not here to have, you know, fun and be sportsman, but I, I am here to win first and foremost. Uh, the locations of the Tennessee clubs is something that's always fascinated me and wanted me. I was supposed to make the trip to the Sulphur Dell cup this year and, and podcast from the Sulphur Dell. But the funny thing is I ran out of time. I actually ran out of vacation time at work because I went so many places uh, over the summer. So that is something that I still have to make the trip for. I'm I'm hoping you guys schedule it uh, the week after Labor Day weekend like you did two years ago. That way I can hit the Ohio Cup on the front end in Tennessee. On the, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying. It'd be nice to hey, have. Hey, I'll, I'll pass it along. <laughs> I will pass it along. Then look, I can take look, a week it, vacation. It, yeah. It rains on us every, like almost every year at the Sulphur Dell. So, like, let's go ahead and move it up. You know, like have it have it be a different week because it, it it rained on us this year as well. Um, I, and it it feels like it's rained on us the last like five years. I know it hasn't, but it certainly feels that way. 
Can you tell us about some of those locations that some of those clubs in the league play at in the historical uh, events or that have taken place at some of these locations? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Um, you know, obviously Tennessee's in the South. I don't think we have to do a geography lesson here, but uh, if you think about civil war, uh, a lot of plantation houses, right. And so um, a lot of those plantation houses are still standing. There's a lot of historical, uh, historically significant locations in Tennessee, especially around the civil war. Uh, and so when you look at, when you think about Tennessee, right, you're thinking of a, a, a sideways rectangle, right? We're really, really long uh, east to west. And so we are separated between middle Tennessee and like we'll call it the Nashville hub and east Tennessee, we'll call it the Knoxville Chattanooga hub, right? We haven't branched out into Memphis, although we have we have tried. Um, but if you look at the, the way the, the teams are, you have a team in Spring Hill that plays at Ripa Villa Plantation. That's actually where we've held the Sulphurdale Cup for several years. Um, the, our team, the Stones River Scouts now, we moved from Smyrna and into Murfreesboro. We play at Oakland's Mansion, which, um, again, a significant home in the area from the Civil War, still standing, still uh, used as a place where people can go tour. Um, the Nashville clubs, they share the Bicentennial Mall, which is a fantastic open area park for anyone to walk around. It's where they have the big farmer's market for downtown, and it has a big view of the Capitol building. So it's a really nice park. It's actually right beside where the Nashville Sounds play. So if you've ever gone to a Sounds game, uh, you, you've been at that field. We have the Franklin Farriers who traditionally play at Carnton Plantation, which is the location of actually one of the Civil War's like bloodiest battles. Um, and, and of course, you can tour the Carnton Plantation complete with bloodstains on the floor when the home is used as a hospital. Um, and so we, we've got sites like this. And if you go into Knoxville, um, we play at the at the Ramsey House, which is a, a really old home, very, very, you know, call it rustic, uh, and and play out in a giant field behind there. And Abraham Lincoln actually comes and watches some of the games uh, every once in a while. His, his apparition, ghost, and actual human reenactor. Um, but yeah, we, we have... We have a lot of different fields uh, down in Chattanooga. We have the Lightfoot Club and the Mountain City Club. Sometimes we'll play along the river down there, but the the field they normally play out is called the Sixth Cavalry Museum, and it's actually an old military location where the, it's like a circle of, of homes where all the uh, officers would have lived at the time, and, and it's just around a giant field where the soldiers would have done you know, their, their work, um, in between naps and, and food. Um, but yeah, we have a lot of different teams out here in Tennessee. Like I said, two in Knoxville, two in Chattanooga and the rest are in the middle Tennessee area spread between Nashville, Franklin, uh, Murfreesboro, Spring Hill, kind of in that Southern Nashville, um, part. Jeff. That's, I mean, the, the growth that you're talking about, Dylan, is pretty remarkable. I think there's a lot of places all around the United States that would love to have the kind of growth that you guys have, have shown. What do you attribute that to? Why, why do you think you guys went from two teams to the eight plus and potentially more in the future? Yeah, you know, I think it's a, I think it's a few things. One, I think the leadership, uh, for the league, especially in the early days, was just phenomenal. 
uh, you know, Meatball Morgan, especially Trapper Haskins, uh, we the the fellow who um, started the Maroons, his nickname is Roadblock. I mean, we had we had some fantastic people early on that really cared a lot about this and and got the word out. But two, it was really helpful because of the way the locations are and because of how the league decided to to do the games. Right, like when we're playing at Bicentennial Mall and it's in the middle of a farmer's market, I mean, you have 400 people walking by that field, and they're not there to watch baseball. They're there to shop, but they're going to shop, and they're going to have a conversation, and they're going to engage. And our league has always been really, really, really big on come up and talk to us at any point in time. You know, we're, we keep the um, benches clean of anachronistic bullshit, right? You know, we want to keep it as, as vintage as possible. We try to, you know, keep our language in check as well. We, we definitely try to, you know, continue to use the vintage lingo. And so we, we're creating this, um, we're, we're creating this environment that's really interesting for people to come up to. And, and having those games in Nashville really helped get people interested. I think the other thing is Tennessee is kind of a baseball state now. Um, you know, if you would have thrown, a, if you would have gone back in time, let's say 15, 20 years, um, let's say 20 years when I was a kid, it was really football focused, um, uh, especially in, in the middle Tennessee area. Over time, that's really changed the baseball. I mean, you think about people like Sonny Gray, who's, you know, taking the twins to the playoffs right now. You think about David Price. Um, we've, we've had some really big players in the Smyrna Murfreesboro area that have garnered a lot of interest. Obviously, the success of Vanderbilt baseball has been really huge in the Nashville area. And so I think there's just this general interest in baseball. A lot of people are playing. And for them to be able to go to a game in Nashville, in Franklin, in Murfreesboro, in Knoxville, in Chattanooga, in these major hubs, and just wind up seeing somebody doing this, they think it's really cool. Um, and there's a lot of interest. And so even when we have players who might, they might come in one year and they might not come back, or uh, they might play for five years and decide, hey, you know, I've got a 12-year-old kid, and he's doing uh, travel baseball, and I, I want to be there, and I don't have time. We generally have people waiting in the wings that are that are interested in, in getting in and getting playing. Um, the only struggle that we have sometimes is people show that interest. They don't always uh, back it up, per se, right? You know, there, there's I'm sure all teams are familiar with the guy that's really gung-ho about it and then doesn't come to a single game. So, we you have to you have to get over that occasionally, but I think I think that's why the growth was so big. We had we have really good leadership. We had really good leadership. We have a board that you know we go through the motions every so many years. You have to move on and and get out. And so we've got a rotating door of people that really care about the league. They put the league first, and we we do a really good job of having a bunch of locations. I, you mentioned the thing about Tennessee being a baseball state, and that immediately brought back nightmares of uh, University of Michigan going to the NCAA finals, and I think getting beat by Vanderbilt. And they went, "Oh yeah, that's yeah. right." Yeah, Vanderbilt, sure. Vanderbilt's fantastic, and you know, uh, UT is getting pretty freaking good too now. So it's it's a lot of fun with the in-state rivalry, uh, and you know, obviously baseball is the best sport there is. So it's it's just a great time to be uh, Tennessee. Or- Sure. Hey, uh, you, I, I love what you said about your engagement with the crowds, the, the use of period language and, uh, you know, lack of modern things, you know, unavailable. 
Uh, did you did you have any brushback with that? Did you have any people who were you know mad that they couldn't have their water bottle out or you know wanted to say certain things and you told no that's not how you say it and they get mad about that? How, did you have that and how do you deal with that if if it did? Yeah, I mean we've had we've had a few small things for the most part. People that are interested in doing vintage baseball like they get it right. Um, you know you there's there's a certain there's a certain um, I don't know if it's a mental hurdle, but there, there's something that people get when they're doing something like this. And if you don't get it, you're not interested in it, right? And you go and play softball with your buddies. Um, we, but, but yeah, we've had we've had a few little things. You know, when when the league was really young and first starting out, I think people were a little bit more stringent about it. We were all drinking out of you know canteens and copper cups and and things that looked like they were battered and found in an antique store and you know 100% have tetanus on it. We were doing a lot more of that. It's, it's gotten a little bit, you know, we, we've tried to swing the pendulum back a tad in some cases, make it a little bit easier, especially when COVID was around. We had to change some of the rules. Um, but for the most part, people people play ball. Where we have our biggest issues is, is with the bat grip. Um, and I'm sure we're all familiar with it's 110. Well, maybe y'all aren't as familiar with it. We're very familiar with it being over 100 degrees when we're out there in these outfits and we're sweating really bad and our bat has nothing on it and we throw it into the crowd. And when you have a bunch of people there, it's not ideal to be throwing your bat at them. So um, we we allow like sticky tacks, right? We, we allow you to put uh, twine around it. We kind of draw the line at lizard skin, uh, you know, and having those modern baseball grip tapes. And, and some people really do not enjoy not having that grip so we, we've had some conversations there uh the only other thing that i can really think of there, there's you know no metal spikes we, we don't allow the metal spikes um we used to be very stringent on your cleats had to be all blacked out that's that's waxed a little bit but still like you can't go out there with you know red cleats like you're playing for the red um you, you have to still try and black your cleats out but the biggest thing that we've had like People that try to design their bats all funky, right? We had we had some things that um, we had to kind of nip in the bud there because there's just so much customization out there when you buy a bat, and it sucks to tell somebody who just spent 150 dollars on their bat, hey, you really shouldn't use that. But we had to do that a couple of times. Yeah, uh, it's interesting. We don't, Jeff. Do we have much problems about the bat grip around here? That doesn't seem to be a topic of controversy we have many controversies here in the midwest but bat grip is not one of them am i correct on that yeah i think because i would be in agreement i know i a lot of guys use pine tar use the pine tar on a stick i personally don't because i don't like the feel of it but um i know there are guys that that definitely swear by it and you know with the research being out there it's you know it's hard to say that you can't use pine tar. Like, well, what do you mean? Pine tar existed. Bats were made of pine, so they could have had it. But I think, yeah, I think guys up here kind of get like, you know, you don't put grip on it. Twine, you know, is totally period appropriate. And and so, yeah, we haven't had kind of the, the, buy, the buy out there. If anything, it's more just like the size of bats. Mm. Um You know, the, the taper and, you know, what it should look like, the weight, the length, and you know, if you see the big bats, like, well, were, were the big ones, you know, were they the, the rule or were they the exception? I think around here in Michigan, I feel like that's the only 
thing that we get. Otherwise, like we kind of look at each other's bats and like, oh, that's a you know cool little design or cute little thing carved into it or something. Yeah, and you know, let, the pine tar is fine. Like I, I also am not a fan of it. I hate my hands feeling sticky when I'm about to go catch a ball yeah. and throw a ball. I, I'd rather mm-hmm. trust my own hands. Um, but I, like pine tar is fine, twine's fine. It's when you put that lizard skin that Mike Trout uses on your bat, and you're like, all right, like come on guys, like we can't we can't be doing this. Um, so yeah, I get that. And the other thing I'll mention though, like the Tennessee League, we we kind of pride ourselves on being really accessible as, as like a, a game to play, right? Like there's no, uh, I mean there's an age limit, right? You have to wait until you're a certain age to play just for insurance type reasons. But it doesn't matter who you are, you can come out and play. I, Uncle Jesse is. You know, getting pretty old, and he still goes out there and plays. He's got like 18 replaced tips at this point, and and he's out there, uh, you know, giving it every bit of 110. percent um, But you know, like with the big bat kind of thing, it it it's one of those things that will occasionally let slide, depending on who's using. Um, and you know, if if your big bopper comes up there with a Sammy Sosa corked bat and unleashes a 700 footer like all right we're we're not okay with that but if you're you know depending on who you are if you come up there with a cup bat like we might turn a blind eye to it occasionally we don't lose our bats into the crowds of people up here in the midwest what we like to do is fair foul into a family of four down the third base line so uh that guy isn't here tonight to defend himself uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I just heard rudy get mad all the way up here <laughs> Uh, Dylan, when you were talking about some of the historical locations that you guys play at, you mentioned, uh, I was watching Jeff Kozlowski, who's a history nut, right? So, uh, Jeff, as you might not know, Dylan plays for the Greenfield Village La-di-da's and they play their home games at the Henry Ford Museum, Greenfield Village. And, uh, so anyway, he's a history nut. You said bloodstains still on the floor. It piqued his interest. He turned towards the camera. And then you said Abraham Lincoln attends some of the matches, and his eye went up like the rock, like the eyebrow <laughs> just went boing. <laughs> so you've piqued his interest. Uh, I've known this about the locations for a long time, which is why I wanted to go. Dylan, something you might not know is that this podcast existed. So you're learning about a vintage baseball podcast tonight you probably never heard of before. But let me tell you who's been on the show. As this is episode 216, uh, in season one, we had both Brad Hughes from the Maroons and Trapper Haskins on. That's uh, Brad Hughes was episode seven, and Trapper Haskins was uh, episode 13 in season one. In season two, we had Tim Davis. I believe that's Cumberland. (laughs) Uh, He also was the author of a Nashville hot chicken cookbook. I believe that we talked about that was on Amazon. Season three, we've had we had both Darius Matthews and Rodney Massengale, who you are familiar with because he's on the scouts. So yep, uh, the kid, the kid, w- w- you're probably the most familiar with Rodney. Uh, can you say a couple of words about Rodney? Yeah, Rodney sucks. No, I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> he, he he's a he's a huge uh, he's a huge King Griffey Jr. fan. Uh, that's why he goes by the kid. Um, his son Jared is getting super into sports right now he's a he's in middle school he's playing basketball he's playing baseball uh and so the the rodney the kid i've never called him rodney in my entire life um his his schedule is jam-packed with his children um and so he's he's one of the guys that had to had to kind of fall off he also um weirdly whether it was real or not 
wink, wink. I'm just kidding. Um, he kept like messing his quad up, like like every game. It was like a hamstring issue running the first base, and so I was like, <laughs> all right, you're unplayable at this point. Uh, just go ahead and stay at home. But uh, no, the the kid, he, he's a, he's a great guy. He he actually um, when he when he first got into the league is one of those guys that got real into it and became a board member really fast and and you know wanted to make sure that. The, the, you know, he's one of the guys that we trust with the league, right? He, he was going to put the, the league in good hands. So, yeah, you've had a lot of really good um, people on the show. I, I will tell you, I had heard about the podcast. Uh, I think you even ha- may have had Uncle Jesse at one point as a guest. Um, but who I would recommend, if you haven't talked to him yet, is Skip Nipper, uh, who is a local baseball legend and historian. He'll talk to you about Sulphur Dell, the real one, uh, until he can't breathe anymore. Uh, Skip Nipper is a name that has come up to me in the past, and Uncle Jesse also a name that I no I have not interviewed him, uh, but he's also on my list. Uh, I make a list when I talk to people from different regions of the names they bring up, and write those names down so I can uh, get to them as soon as possible. And uh, those are both names on the list. Uh, yeah, let me know if you ever need a plug. I'll, I'll help you get in touch with them. Absolutely. I was going through your pictures. Uh, Dylan and I did see a picture of you wearing a uh, an old time football helmet. Was uh, this yeah. was this for an actual football event? Mm-hmm. Tell yeah, me everything. So, so yeah, so again, you know, the the vintage league has has really opened up the gates to just some of the greatest people on this planet. It, it really has, and um, we are fortunate enough in Tennessee to uh, be near uh, the Alvin York um, Memorial, Alvin York State Park, I should call it. And if you're unfamiliar with Sergeant Alvin C. York, go ahead and do some Googling. He's a Tennessee legend, a Tennessee hero um, for his work in World War One. So uh, if you want to do some reading, Jeff, if you ha- don't already know about him, uh, give a take a take a little Google search on Alvin C. York. Well, one of the guys that played on the Farriers, uh, we call him Nip. I couldn't tell you his real name. Uh, also a Cubs fan, so shout out Nip. Um, he started to do some work with like vintage football uh, and and football recreation in Illinois somewhere where where he's from, and it went really really well. So it started to get ooh, we lost Jeff completely, um, but it started to get really big in our league. Um, maybe he'll, maybe he'll join back in here in a maybe. second. He can catch- you told him to read Dylan. You said, <laughs> you said Alvin York, you might want to read and- something about that. Jeff, like I can't read for one thing. You said it like I, I'm not going to ask, uh, Matt to read it. He obviously doesn't read Jeff. You can read. And so he did. He left. <laughs> yeah. He just was like, I'm, I'm going to read. Um, well, Jeff is back. So yeah, so so Nip started doing this football work, and it started to get it started to get really some some serious traction. And so there were some conversations. And at the Alvin C. York State Park, they have an event every year uh, that's around this like World War One kind of reenactment. A lot of guys dress up in, in World War One attire. They they show you know what it's like to be in a trench, and they they show that kind of stuff. It's a, it's a learning thing. Um, but we decided to host a football game and I think we, we wound up doing it twice. I only went once, but one of the rules was the only facial hair you could have was a mustache. Like you, you had to follow the rules of being a world war one soldier. 
And uh, so we had Army versus Navy. The only thing that was unfortunate about it, and, um, you know, this was a fantastic decision on everyone's part that was putting this on, uh, it was flag. We were not allowed to tackle each other. Uh, I was I was reared up and gearing to just you know put a put a hard hit on on people that play on other baseball teams than me, <laughs> um, but but it was it was flag football. Uh, we played with a period correct football. We played in period correct uniforms, and it was very military um, in the sense that we showed up. None of us had a uniform, and we had to go stand in line and then have it you know uh, dispensed to us, locked typically in in clothing items that didn't actually fit you very well. So. Um, we played football. Uh, you have to have an absolutely gigantic hand to throw a football from that time period. The ball is absolutely massive. And most of the plays you do are like Tim Tebow passes that are three and a half feet away from him or, you know, little pitch plays. Um, so <laughs> a lot of speed required. Let's, let's not besmirch the skill level of one Timothy Tebow on this show, please. Don't tell me you're a Florida guy. Look, I'm not a Florida guy. I'm a Tebow guy. The guy, I've never seen a football player with so little skill be able to win. It's amazing to me. And the only, listen, I'm not, we don't get into religion. We don't get into politics. I will tell you, I do not believe in God, but Tim Tebow is the closest thing that makes me believe in God. Tim Tebow. Uh, Fair. I mean, he did have Percy Hartman. <laughs> let's, let's, let's give credit where credit is due. I looked up Alvin York. I'm going to read something to you, not only to prove to you that I can read Dylan, but also so people get in uh, the background of Alvin York without, if they don't want to Google, they should though. He tried to avoid war for religious reasons. Uh, he became one of the most notable heroes of World War One. He helped on uh, in October of 1918. He helped capture over 100 Germans in a mission that could have ended in total failure. Oh, it's like a a teaser. Like you have to go read more about him. How could it have ended? Yeah. Very so, badly? so he he winds up getting the Medal of Honor, um, and and kind of becomes a, a celebrity when he comes back home. To Paul Mall, Tennessee, you know, a place that you've definitely heard of because it's so large. Uh, but he uh, kind of rejected a lot of it. He didn't think that it was right to become, you know, super famous and, and rich off of an act of war. So, like, people, you know, were giving him endorsements and trying to make movies and write books about him and stuff. And I think he wound up taking some of the money once he got a little older, but. Um, you know, that was kind of his whole deal was he was very kind of had that Tennessee style to him where he just he did the thing that he needed to do and he didn't need a whole lot of uh poopsy wall for it. So so thus far, I'm I've been taking uh, copious notes on everything here, Dylan. And thus far what I've heard is you had a a, a divine groin injury that led to you getting started drinking water out of a cup that might give you tetanus mm -hmm. uh, and desiring so badly to play tackle in a flag football, flag vintage <laughs> football game. Uh, what it says to me is me and my fragile self would not survive in Tennessee <laughs> athletics, it seems. It depends on, it depends on how, how well you do with humidity and heat, I guess. Uh, you know, you, you can you survive, but hey, there's a reason they call me TikTok. It's because I'm a ticking time bomb. I'm kidding. That's not actually why, but uh, I like to joke about it. 
Uh, Jeff, you would not, you would not be intimidated in Tennessee at all. Jeff, uh, I think the hot weather would just make the, the snarl, the growl that's on Cougar's face uh, in the heat of competition that exists. I believe it would just turn his face a little more red and he'd look a little more angry, but I think he'd do just fine. My, my, my kids think I'm crazy when I, when they say like, you know, would you rather be too hot or too cold? A lot of my students say they would rather be too cold. I'm like, I say, give me 95 all day, humid or not humid. Give me, give me hot weather. Like, I, I don't know why it just doesn't phase me at all, but I love the heat. No, you got, you've got that, that Midwestern look of, of real, real, real tough. So I think, I think you'd be good. good. Oh, that's, that's the Polish in me that we don't know any better. <laughs> no, it's actually funny talking to y'all on, on here. My, my dad is from Wisconsin. Um, and so like his family still lives up there and, and I just get, uh, like little flashbacks. Some of the words y'all say, it's like, Oh yeah, I hear my grandpa right now. We'll have to have a pop for him then. Oh geez. <laughs> Don't start this. <laughs> uh, Dylan, uh, what do you do for a living? Uh, yeah, so I work in IT uh, at a school. I work at Vanderbilt University, actually. So um, I work in IT at Vanderbilt and uh, and and do a little bit of consulting work there. Well, is that what what? No, what, it just yeah. makes oh, that was that was that was the Michigan reference again. Like, okay, oh, yeah. I got yeah. I got nothing. Yeah, I mean, hey, Michigan's way better at football than Vandy. Right now, yes. True, Michigan. I, Michigan for, State forever. is <laughs> well, yes, forever probably. Who's the most famous? Don't, don't I? I'm like hoping that um, I don't know. Nobody at Vanderbilt listens to your podcast now. Sorry. Uh, you got a good shot of that <laughs> happening, Dylan. What's a who's a guy that played at played at Vanderbilt that uh, went on to the NFL? Did Jay Cutler go to Vanderbilt? Yes, he did. He yes. did. He's also a Bears fan. Um, but I am a Packers fan, so I've never been a huge Jay Cutler guy. Well, that's all right. He sucked. Uh, I'm a huge Dolphins guy, and he came to the Dolphins for a year, and it was the worst experience of my life with a quarterback, uh, except maybe Scott Mitchell before he went to the Lions. But talk about a frustrating quarterback. Jeff, you and I can I mean, talk I, about that some other time. <laughs> at least you're not a Bears fan, right? I feel I feel for the Chicago guys right now that like both the Cubs and the Bears. I really feel for them. You don't have to. No, they, we don't. They've got enough. I feel nothing for them. Uh, <laughs> just, you know, at least, at least uh, Rick Brewer's family did not have to deal with the excitement of the sports, the sports teams in town while they were there. They did not have to deal with any bad traffic or anything of excited sports fans. They're, they're all disappointed right now, so. Uh, yeah, and 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 Rick's a Yankees fan. Just so that you're aware, if that if that changes your perspective on him, or if you're from New York and listening to this podcast and it makes you like him more, uh, he does like the Yankees. We do have plenty of New York player uh, people that will uh, hear this and be happy about the Yankee thing. I actually, run into more Mets fans, oddly enough, on on the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but you know, Jeff and I are Tigers fans, and and we I think Jeff, I consider the sixth season a success. Oh, a huge success. My yeah. my best friends, we pre- we predict the, the the record at the beginning, 
I said 63 wins for him, and a few of my friends took over 70, and I laughed at him and said, you guys are insane. There's no way he's got to get over 70 wins. And yet, you know, here I am dining on Crow this weekend. Hey, Torkelson finally figured it out. Well, oh, my God, I'm so happy for that. I mean, he put up big numbers, but he batted 230. I guess that's that's the way it is nowadays. But uh, if if we didn't have, if we had a healthy pitching staff, if we had a healthy starting pitching staff and we got rid of that Artie Lang as a, as a closer, uh, I think we would have made the playoffs this year. <laughs> I believe that, but we'll see. I next think year. That we might be a little crazy, but I'll let you have it. <laughs> All right. So, All right. so real quick, I've got a question for y'all if I'm allowed. Yes. Uh, so obviously I, I think our teams have crossed paths. Uh, the Hog and Hominy team from Tennessee that does travel. Uh, I know that we've been in, in tournaments in Ohio and in um, uh, Pennsylvania and everywhere else. Based on y'all's games, who do you think has the worst temper? Y'all Northerners or the Southerners? If you've played enough folks in the South. I don't know. I've always found that the people from the South have the best manners. And that's stereotypical of uh, the South, I believe. Uh, worst, yeah, we gotta get that charm. Worst manners, or uh, worst. I know that people around here think that the East Coast teams have like the worst tempers. I just think they play more intense. I don't think they have worse tempers. Yeah. I mean, they're just playing the game I, at I a agree. higher level. You know, they're just yeah. I, so I don't think that is true. I, you know what? I wouldn't know the answer to that, Jeff. What's your answer to that? I I kind of look at it not necessarily regionally so much as an age thing. What I've noticed is that the, the teams with the like the bad attitudes, the bad tempers, the ones I don't want to play, are the ones that are older and set in their ways and don't want to see somebody else coming in and either knocking them off their perch or adapting to new research that has come about about how pitching is supposed to be swift. Or, you know, you're not supposed to do this or you're supposed to should be doing this. And the teams that are like, no, we don't do that here. That's not how we play. Those are the teams that I'm like, all right, well, cross you off the schedule then for next year. Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's a good point. I will, I will say of all the folks that I've played, uh, the Michigan team that stands out the most to me was Wyandotte. Um, I, I, I feel like I played them over and over and over again. But the most intense game I ever played was one of the Brooklyn teams. So I think I think y'all are right, right? They just like they play it at another level. But speaking of Trapper, that was like the most aggressive I've ever seen Trapper in my entire life was in a game against uh one of the Brooklyn teams. I it was it was a sight to behold. It made me happy. We played we played the Atlantic at a tournament in the middle of a soccer field in North Carolina back in twenty ten. And there was nobody, nobody there. And I remember it was five to three. Atlantics were leading us. And yeah, we were like, both of us were just right on the edge of like, this is going to go nuts. And it's going to go nuts in front of like that soccer game that's half a mile away over there. We're just sitting here playing like, so yeah, I mean, but at the end of the game, the Atlantics were joking with us. They were laughing with us. Like it, when the game was over, they were Great, great dude. When the game was on, like, 
they play hard, and that's, I think, how every team should. 100% agree. Oh, isn't that great? We're just all in agreement. That's great. Uh, Dylan, I want to uh, thank you again for being on the show. But before before we let you go, we do a little thing with guests where we give them the old pepper. I'm going to ask you some quick questions. You just give some quick answers, and we'll get to know you a little bit better through this. Here we go. Dylan, what was your first car? Uh, 1998 Mercury Grand Marquis what is your favorite ice cream flavor mint chocolate chip hands down what is your favorite baseball smell a worn in glove how do you eat an oreo cookie the whole thing on out at once <laughs> uh name a pet peeve of yours um People who chew really, really loudly. What's your worst baseball injury? Uh, I pulled every muscle in my back uh, catching a ball and throwing it in, but I did catch the ball. Are you sure that story didn't start off with just one pulled muscle and every time you tell the story it has... It has fish storied into every muscle in your so, back. <laughs> I should I should clarify. Uh, it was every muscle in my lower back. I don't know how many muscles that is, but I will also say uh, it was very not cool of this place we were playing to have a gravel warning track. Let me let me just throw that out there. <laughs> what is something that would surprise somebody about the IT department at Vanderbilt? Um, something that would surprise you. Uh, I think we have, and I'm not kidding, I think we have at least two of the smartest people in, like, the entire Southeast working in IT at Vanderbilt for some strange reason. How we got them, I don't know, but they are they are legitimately genius. Paper, rock, or scissors? Rock. What is your third favorite color? Third? Um... <laughs> Uh, gold. Uh, name, uh, name something people get wrong about IT guys. We're not all fat and don't like talking to people. <laughs> what is the first? <laughs> what is the first concert you ever went to? This one's awesome. Uh, the Backstreet Boys, and I put blue and green gel in my hair when I went. Wait a minute. You went to the Backstreet Boys concert and you put blue and green gel in your hair. Your your hair is pretty dark. What was your hair yep. like at the time of this gel going into it? It was it was a little blonder. I was I, I had blonde hair when I was really little and it progressively has gotten darker. Um but I was also like eight. And, then, was, and there's I will say there's a little bit of play here that's the first real concert i went to that i that i remember going to i also got to see weird al yankovic play at uh the nashville um state fair one year i don't remember how old i was i just remember that was when i learned what an encore was because he didn't play the saga begins and i was near tears and my dad had to explain dude you gotta cheer really loud and he'll come back out and he'll play that sure nothing happened oh that was my first concert, actually, with a Weird Al concert. And yeah. still, still the best show I've ever been to. 
Uh, just a, uh, Dylan, you'll be happy to know that just a handful of episodes ago, we interviewed from the New York Mutuals, Andy Lembo, and we had so much Backstreet Boys talk in that episode, you wouldn't believe it. So Really? <laughs> I kid you not, Tom Fasolowicz, who's who's big with the vintage baseball on the East Coast, said that we jumped the shark with that episode, and I, I feel differently. Uh, <laughs> Hey man, the Backstreet Boys are great. My wife was an Instinct fan, is a big Instinct fan. We we are a split household. What is your favorite flavor of potato chip? Uh, barbecue. And finally, give us your Mount Rushmore of your favorite baseball players. Mount Rushmore four, right? Yes. Uh, we're gonna go Sammy Sosa, even though he cheated. Uh, he brought me to baseball. We're going to go Ichiro. Um, I'm going to go. I mean, you got to put Babe Ruth, right? Like, I mean, it's just kind of required. Uh, and you know what? I'm going to, I'm going to go with the thing that's going to piss everyone off. I'm going to put Shohei Otani up there. Why does that, why would you say that would piss everybody off? He's the best player in the world. Because, because everybody thinks that in order to go on a Mount Rushmore, you have to be old. That's just how it goes. That's the Michael Jordan LeBron conversation. It's the Babe Ruth Mike Trout conversation. I mean, you got to be old to be on a Mount Rushmore. Well, I don't believe that at all. So on this show, you go as young as you want. Best player in the world, Shohei Otani. Shohei Otani. He is fantastic. And his body completely gave up on him. Uh, yes. <laughs> that's what happened. As, as did Mike Trout. It's something in the water with the Angels. If you're an Angels fan, I'm sorry, but pick a different team. <laughs> strong words, Dylan. Uh, strong words. Once again, don't forget, everybody, uh, there's a GoFundMe set up for Rick Brewer, Uncle Jesse, as he's known in the Tennessee Vintage community. It's Rally for Rick, the number four, instead of the word. We're going to put a link in the description of this episode. So please continue to donate so his family can... Uh, kind of recoup what has happened to them over the course of the last over a month now and what is still happening. And let's face it, bills, bills, bills. That's what they're looking at uh, in the future. So uh, let's let's do what we can as a community and uh, and do our best with that. Jeff, uh, any parting words for Dylan? No, this is, this is really a, a lot of fun. You know, I, it's always a, uh, Always a pleasure to meet people from from around the country, and uh, you know to get to to get to the bottom. And you know we see everybody in all these different uniforms, and we think we're just we're all ball players, which we are. And at the same time, it's nice that a show like this can dig deep and find out who they who they really are and uh, what they stand for. So I'm super appreciative of you of you, Dylan, for uh, for coming on with us. Yeah, thanks, thanks for having me. Thanks for giving me the opportunity to talk about Uncle Jesse. Um, and also, I hope that uh, anyone listening actually enjoyed this episode and that I wasn't terrible. Nah, good episode, Dylan. Uh, Jeff, thanks for filling in for Rudy. He was shaving, he was out shaving his legs, and uh, he'll be back uh, in two weeks, probably in like a month. Oh, by oh. the way, Jeff, uh, <laughs> Jeff, I'm giving you. I only gave you a half a day notice today, but you got a full week notice that uh, he's not here next week either. So. Uh, oh. uh, <laughs> Do you still have another news break ready? Got it. Okay. Yeah, no, you still have a news break. You can have that. You just don't have to do more work. Just keep it. Keep it. 
<laughs> even, Everything's going to be I okay. I did one specifically. There's a specifically Tennessee-themed news break oh. that was today. By well, why don't you say, never mind. Coming now <laughs> to the microphone, a live sports break with Jonathan McLean. This is your Roller Up the Barrel News Break for Thursday, October 3rd, 1867. I'm Donovan McLean. Line, Nashville. The championship of Davidson County was determined today as the Nashville and Phoenix Baseball Clubs played in a very exciting two-hour and 30-minute affair. Mr. O'Neill of the Phoenix Club had a clean game, not making any outs and scoring five runs. The Nashville spread around the scoring wealth with eight of their nine players scoring at least one run. When all was said and done, however, it was Phoenix who won the day by a final score of 25 to 20. We apologize for not having more insight into this game. We encourage all of our correspondents to send in the score of the innings always. Today's news break brought to you by the Abandoned Croquet Club of Kalamazoo, Michigan. They welcome any and all challenges to the Newport Rules, four-ball game, nine-arch arrangement, it doesn't matter. If you can beat them, there's a $25 croquet set for you. So there you go. Life has its little bonuses. I'm Jonathan McLean, and this has been your Roller Out the Barrel News Break. That was incredible. You see, Jeff, as you've been promoted to co-host, you just got to say, dude, I got this thing. You want to you do this or what? You know, you, <laughs> don't just... Don't just let your politeness take over your world and be like, well, I hope he fits it in. You have to remind me. Look at the color of this beard, Jeff. The mind is the same. (laughs) It's that classic Metro Detroit passive aggressivism. That's what it is here. (laughs) All right. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Uh, Don't forget to go to the YouTube channel. You can see all these interviews, and you can see all the play-by-play of all the many matches that that we've uh, attended over the last two years. And there's much more to come. Make sure you subscribe uh, and check out the pod uh, cast on Podbean, on Spotify, on anywhere. Rate us, review, subscribe, unsubscribe, subscribe again. Do all that stuff. It's all it's all numbers. The IT guy from Vanderbilt will tell you that. It's all about numbers and ball bearings. Uh, have a good night, everybody, and uh, we'll see you next week. <laughs>